Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Nativist Podcast. Today's episode is the latest installment of my addiction series. We've had some really stellar conversations so far, and today's is no exception. Today's guest is Haley Hanohano Erickson. So grateful to her for coming on and sharing her story. You guys, this is not easy to talk about, and I'm so appreciative for not only you for listening, but for these brave souls for coming on and shedding some sunlight on it. And the podcast she references later on in today's episode episode is the last day podcast and you can find that on podcast platforms so I recommend checking it out I know I will be and I hope you enjoy today's episode and also there's a swamp monster or something that's going on in the background neither Haley nor I could figure out where it was coming from no idea So sorry about the audio quality. It's worth it. Please power through. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. And this is another installment of the Addiction Series. And I'm talking to somebody today who has a perspective from a loved one of people who have been addicted. And what's up? Not much. Excited to be here. So, so, so excited you're here. I really am. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And I know that's a really vague question. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) just tell us everything Um, in like 30 seconds. But yeah, as wide and deep as you want to go, as long as you want to go. Okay. So I am married and I have two little boys that I love dearly. They're amazing. Um, I'm a huge dog person. So I also have two pretty big dogs, medium-sized dogs that we adore. Um, I was born in Utah. My whole family moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico for about six years. And then when I was about eight years old, we moved up here to Pocatello, Idaho. Um, and we've been here ever since. My mom is from Utah. My dad is from Hawaii. So we don't really have any family up here. We came up here for work. I met my husband in high school and we have dated ever since. I have an older sister, an older brother, and a younger brother. Um, my sister's the only one that still lives here. She lives in Blackfoot. And my youngest brother is a sous chef in training in Miami. Oh, wow. Well done on that intro. That's impressive. Because (laughs) that's not an easy thing to do. It sounds so simple. Like, just tell us about yourself. And then you're like, well, where do I start? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So let's dig into why we're here. Let's just jump right into it. So you have had the perspective of watching people struggle with addiction, people you love, So what was that experience like for you? It was really hard. I feel like it was kind of a grieving process that I'm still going through because grief, you know, comes in stages and stuff. And I am still trying to figure out why some of it affected me the way that it did. So my first experience with addiction was with my brother-in-law. And we actually call him that, but he's not. He is. So my husband served in the LDS mission in California and he met 
his brother-in-law he met down there and he actually came up here to live with my husband's family uh oh what was it 2013 mm. i think mm. and he's been up mm. here with us ever since so he's he started as a friend that moved up here from california and has turned into what we all call a brother-in-law he is currently incarcerated but he was living with us until earlier this month and so that was my first interaction and honestly i probably handled it really poorly when something is upsetting, unfortunately, my first reaction is anger, even though it's not how I actually feel. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I handled that yeah. one like pretty poorly, I would say. It was about 2015 or 16 when my first interaction with addiction and people with addiction kind of happened. And then um, my brother, who I've been very close with my whole life, me and my siblings have all been really close, fortunately. And my older brother, who is three years older than me, he ended up kind of coming out, I don't know the right term, but coming out with his addiction in 2018. And so that one hit a little bit differently after having had some experience with my brother-in-law. And I've had to go to some therapy of my own just to kind of understand boundaries and addiction and how to be an ally for them, but not an enabler. What a beautiful approach to look at your reactions and take ownership of them because that would be so hard. And I'm with you with reacting with anger. That is heavy, heavy news to get with people that you care about, your quote unquote brother-in-law, your brother. That is not an easy pill to swallow. And that would be so hard to accept, to process, right? Yeah. And there is the like, well, what did I do? Like, what could I have done? Yeah. Like, why are you doing this to us? Why are you doing this to yourself? And it's just a whole thing that is just hard to understand, really. Sure. If you haven't yeah. ever had it or known someone that's had an addiction. So, yeah. And so let's take this piece by piece. So let's go to your, and I'm going to call him your brother in law because that's yeah. who he is to you. Yeah, and that's, that's how you reference him. him. So. Good. Okay, cool. So your brother in law, he had a previous addiction, right? And then he relapsed yeah. in 2016. Yes. Okay. So when you first met him, did you see any addictive tendencies or were you completely blindsided when you learned of his relapse? Did you know his history? Um, so we did know his history. A lot of the reason why he moved up here in 2013 in the first place was because he um, was trying to get sober and so we did know about his addiction. I had never met him um, like when he was actively using at that point. When he came up here, he had started sober. So I had never interacted with him. I knew about it. So we weren't completely blindsided. But it had been three, almost four years that he was sober. Mm. So it was kind of like a shock. But with him we did see the gradual like downward spiral that led to him actually relapsing. And I don't really think any of us knew what to do or how, like how to handle it, unfortunately, which led to him falling as hard as he did, which led to him going to jail and, and having a misdemeanor and having to serve time and stuff like that. And, and I, I mean, obviously we can't live in what ifs, but I just wish that I would have been more educated on addiction at that point. Cause I, I'm hopeful that if people can get educated before it happens, then they can prevent things from happening. Yes. And yeah. how would you have any experience? You know, how would you know how to handle it? Because that's such an unprecedented experience for you. And again, yeah. that's a lot to take in. 
And then to even know what to do, because you're handling it on your end and then not knowing how to support and contribute to their healing. Gosh, that would just be so hard. So do you remember like what your initial words to him? Like, did he sit you guys down? How did he break the news to you? How did you find out? Um, So what happened is he kind of, he served an LDS mission as well. And he got sent home from his mission for breaking some rules, which kind of led to a depression for him. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know... I have my personal opinions and views on things. And I just kind of was like, listen, you just got sent home from a a mission. Like it's not the end of the world. You can still be a really outstanding person. You don't even necessarily have to believe in this faith to be a good person. Like this isn't the end of the world. Like it will be okay. Yeah. Um, Which was really different than what his biological family was saying. Mm. And even my in-laws. And I think that because he had a previous addiction, when his mental health took a hit, he didn't really know how to deal with it. And so I was kind of fighting to get him out of the depression for a little bit, my husband and I, and then he just disappeared. We figured he was using, and then one day he just disappeared for a week. And that was really scary um, because we knew his history, history, this was common for him when he did relapse he would just disappear. And so that was kind of like our first clue, like, oh my gosh, he disappeared. And then all of a sudden he showed up again. And my angry reaction happened because he just showed up again. And I have kids and they were at my in-laws house and he just showed up high. Wow. And friends that were also high that I don't know. And that's kind of where my anger and mama bear came out and so the first thing i i remember saying to him was telling him do you allow swearing i don't know go for it girl okay let it out so he showed up at the house with friends and me and my oldest son were there because they didn't have my youngest son yet and i said get the fuck out yeah you're not bringing your friends here when my child is here you are not going to endanger my children with your decision yeah and that didn't sit well he got super angry and he left and he didn't talk to any of us for two or three months at all. Because that's so hard. What an impossible situation to be in because your priority is to protect your kids. And when you introduce substances into the mix, for one thing, they're not themselves anyways. So they could be the most wonderful, upstanding person, but when substance is involved, it alters them and it alters their actions and alters their mindset. And so they're so unpredictable and you don't know. And that's a really sketchy area to to have to be around yourself but then with your kids that is terrifying terrifying and then I probably could have been nicer about it but I definitely was like you need to get away sure sure yeah I would definitely have a strong reaction too and then also on the other side like he's just in this awful state of mind obviously what led him to substance abuse again and then he's just needing like some sort of like hope or some sort of branch to cling to and hold on to. And that's what he's met with. But honestly, like that is just, I would react like you. I even knowing what I do, I think is just such a visceral, such an instinctive reaction to protect. And like you said, like mama bear, you just go into protective mode and you're like, listen, that's scary. It's scary. And that's so hard. And I get how that can impact the situation and make it harder. But did you cool down pretty quickly or what were Um, your thought progressions after that? So unfortunately, 
it didn't cool down very quickly. It's taken quite a few years. While he was actively using during that relapse, he ended up threatening myself and my husband and my children. And never to us directly, but multiple people that we all had interacted with, you know, that we knew prior to this relapse, we had probably four or five people let us know, like, listen, he's really angry with you for what you've said. He told us that you guys had better watch your back. And these are people that are not using. These are people that are not, they care about us. They also care about my brother-in-law. And so listen, he's in a really bad place. And he's saying that you guys had better watch your back and that he's going to find you. And you know, he's going to take everything you have. And so I did not cool down quickly after that. I want to say it was 2016 is when he relapsed about 2017, the end of 2017, he ended up getting incarcerated for a few months. He got out and the place that they released him to was my in-laws. And I wouldn't let my children go over to my in-laws house for probably a year. Wow. Understandable. Um, Yeah. Which is, and I said, you know, I know the sober you and the sober you is a really good person, but I don't know the you that uses and I'm not willing to risk my children and my family's safety because I don't know who you were involved with. I don't know what kind of trouble you got yourself into. And I don't know if you are sober, I'm not going to risk that. So we probably didn't go over to my in-laws house for a whole year after he moved in, back in with them after jail in 2017. Wow. So. wow. And that's exactly it. And I love how you phrased that. You know, the sober him, but you don't know the user him. And those are two no. different people. Like we talked about earlier yeah. and it's scary. Yeah. And I've seen that secondhand from people who have told me and just seen it myself. You can yeah. morph into a completely different person when you're using Yes. Which where you're trying, if you're just trying to get that next hit and that next fix, you will hurt your family. You will use violence. You'll use whatever it takes to get your next hit, to get the money that you need to get for it, to get the resources that you need to get for it. And that's such a gamble. And especially when you introduce kids into the mix, I mean, game changer, that just changes it. I mean, you want to be careful with yourself too. Sure. But also with your kids. Yeah. That would be so hard. You've kind of talked about his home life and his biological family. So do you have some ideas what led to that addiction? I know that his biological mom, she doesn't talk about it much. So his biological mom and his biological dad both used some sort of substance at some point in their life. They were actively using when he was born, when my brother-in-law was born. And then his father ended up leaving and his mom got sober and got her life back together. And she actually ended up remarrying. And so my brother-in-law's dad that he knows is his stepdad. And I know that his biological dad has gone in and out of jail and struggled with addiction and all sorts of things himself. I know that his biological mom has worked really hard and has been sober for probably 20 something years now, because as soon as she got sober with him, she stayed sober, but she doesn't talk about it much. Hmm. I don't know the effect that that's had. I know that my brother-in-law has said stuff that he wishes she would talk about it. So he knew more Yeah, because he knew his mom. He didn't know his biological dad. He knew his stepdad and He feels like if he would have known at 13 or 14 when he started smoking weed that he probably would have tried to do things differently 
if you would have known that he was so susceptible to addiction. Sure. And can you yeah. imagine as a mother having that in your past and the shame yeah. that you would feel? I feel like you'd feel such shame. Yeah. I mean, God, you have mom guilt anyways. I So I hear I'm not a mom, but you know, just yeah. being a parent anyways. And then to have that in your past, I would imagine that there would be so much shame surrounding that and you wouldn't want to talk about it. And you kind of want to just brush it under the rug. Right. But sunlight, I mean, and part of the reason for talking about it here right now, so thank you for it, is normalizing the conversation so it can help people and reduce some of that shame and connect people and inform people and enlighten people. And there's such value in that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, gosh, it's so hard. And it's so hard to come from a base like that. And doesn't your heart break for some of these kids who are just a lot of grown up in this. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of why I am open to talking about it is because the different therapies and counseling sessions I've gone to over this has been, you know, we need to stop making it so shameful. And a Mm -hmm. lot of why the addictions happen and are hidden for so long is because they feel so much shame. And if we could educate Mm -hmm. people so that shame wasn't there, people could reach out for the help a lot sooner than they do because of their shame. Yes. And ripple effect, help themselves, help their posterity, help their loved ones, everybody around them. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And I definitely want to get into the therapy and the resources that you've used and the tools question before we move on to your brother. If you were to do it over today, how would you have initially reacted? I would have handled it kinder. I feel like I can still set a clear boundary of keeping my children safe and what is allowable for my family and still be kind to him. I still want to protect my kids and I can set those boundaries, but I feel like if Mm -hmm. I possibly would have gone about it in a kinder way, rather than yelling and freaking out and telling him to not come around, things probably could have ended differently. I don't, I don't know how they would have ended, but I do think that if I could do it over again, that I would try and be kinder and more understanding of him while still setting my boundaries. I love that. And I think sometimes people conflate rudeness or unkindness with boundaries. There's a way to do it kindly, but firmly. Yes. I have so much respect for you for approaching it like you have, and then doing what you've done to work through it. Cause that, that takes a lot. Okay. So let's move on to your brother. So tell us more about him. So he, we didn't know that he was struggling with any sort of addiction at all. Um, We knew that he had some mental health things that he was trying to work on. And he had told us that he was getting the help that he needed and was getting different kinds of medical attention for that, including therapy, including medication. And so we did see a shift in him. And like, but we saw the depression that he was telling us he had and We did see a shift in him, but he kept telling us he was getting the help he needed, that he was, you know, getting the medication he needed, that he was seeing the therapist he needed. And so we didn't really question too much. And the flip side of it is that he was working with youth who had family members going through the exact same thing he was going through. He knew all of the things to tell us. He knew what to say to make it seem like he was doing what he needed to be doing. And in 2018, in March of 2018, he ended up telling my parents he was going to go to a week-long stay at 
an inpatient facility for his depression because he was suicidal. And my parents didn't tell us his siblings at all. And so we just kind of were like, why isn't he texting us back? Like, we all talk quite a few times a week. Like, this is weird. Like, what's going on? And it came out that they said, you know, this is where he said he was going. And being the sister I am, I was like, that sounds fishy. So it worked out. He happened to be on my cell phone plan. <laughs> so I could get bought random cell phones down in Salt Lake. And I was like, listen, if he's in an inpatient place, he's not out about buying cell phones. I can oh, tell you that right now. Yeah. So then my mom ended up opening up about how she noticed. I don't know why she was still on his checking account, but she was. He's like 30. <laughs> she was like 30. And I was like, why are you still on his checking account? But she was, which ended up helping us because she like good. went into it and drained everything. And I said, mom, these are classic signs that my brother-in-law showed. Yeah. And I said, you know, these are classic signs that my brother-in-law showed. I think that my brother is on a binge week. And, you know, I'd had some conversations with my brother earlier in, in that year about faith, religion, sexual orientation, stuff like that, which I'm fairly open with my family. We talk pretty openly about a lot of things. And we're pretty open-minded people. We believe what we believe, but we don't think that it's the only right thing. And we don't think that everyone needs to think and believe what we believe. And we want to learn about other things because, you know, maybe with more education, we could change our opinions. And so I love that. Yeah. So my brother and I had had multiple conversations about it and we were raised in a very LDS home and he was very, very active practicing the LDS religion for his whole life. And I noticed within the last year that he wasn't as much. And I just kind of said, Hey, like, are you okay? Is there something that, you know, you need some support with? Because, you know, whatever you do, you're always going to be my brother. and I'm always going to love you. And I'm not going to think any differently or anything of you. And that kind of opened up that door to that conversation. And he mentioned in that conversation, I remember vividly him mentioning to me that he had tried, you know, dating people of all different genders and orientations and that he had tried alcohol at 30 something and he had never tried it before. And he had tried some other things that I experimented with myself much younger. So so we kind of talked about that and I was like, yeah, I understand that. Like, I understand why you do. I went through that as well. You know, I think that you can't really know what you believe until you kind of try everything. Yeah, yeah. But in that conversation, I remember vividly one sentence. And he said to me, I think that I might have tried meth once. Wow. And I wow. and it was just in the middle of the conversation. Wow. Right wow. past it just continued on. And that struck wow. me. And I was like, how would you think that you might have one time? And why would it be important enough to you to mention that? Yeah, yeah, in the yeah. Time? Good question. And so that was a few months prior. And then when he left for that week and told my parents he was going to a facility and then the signs of, you know, different things, that sentence struck out to me. And I said, mom, I think that he's on a binge week and I think that he is, has an addiction. And I told her, you know, I think it's methamphetamine because I mean, I already said what it is now, so I might as well. Yeah. (laughs) And so that's kind of how we found out. I called him and he was not in the right frame of mind, but we ended up getting him back home here. He wasn't even in our town or our state. And yeah, so we were definitely blindsided by that one for sure. And I think that 
it's very fortunate that I was able to have the experiences that I had with my brother-in-law a couple of years prior to really see the clues of what was happening with my brother. That's a lot to take yeah. in. That's a lot to handle. Yes. <laughs> and thank you again for being so open about all of this. So with your parents, how did they react? Like when you told your mom, I think he's having a binge week. I think he's using, what was her reaction? At first she got angry with me because I, I mean, I threw it right out there. You know, mom, I think he's using this and I think that he's on a binge week. And going from not knowing anything to all of a sudden your daughter telling you, your son is you, like my brother's using this. Yeah. Why would you jump to that all of a sudden? Why would you not tell me that you had suspicions of this? Why would you not? So she reacted pretty upset with me because she thought that I knew something that I didn't necessarily know. I I didn't know that that's what he was doing. There was Mm -hmm. just so many signs to me that and it ended up being correct. And so she at first thought, you know, I, I knew something and I was hiding it and I just wasn't telling people. And then it went into mom survival mode. It doesn't matter how old your kids are. She wanted to save him, you know, yes, and protect yes. him. And I love my mom dearly. I love my mom dearly. She does get very involved in our lives if we let her. Yeah. Which can be good at some points and also like not the best. Sure. <laughs> so that was her initial reaction. My dad is just the most mellow Hawaiian guy. <laughs> yeah. And my parents had gone through a divorce a few years earlier. And so he was consistently going to a therapist and he handled it like a pro. I want to say he was just like, all right, well, let's see what we can do for him. But don't you guys like cross your boundaries and overexert yourself. Like we'll be here to help him, but it's also his choice. Like he just handled it so calm and loving, mm-hmm. no like shame for my brother, no yes. guilt for any of us or anything. He was like, he handled it very well. I feel like. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. I don't think that this is how it should be, but I think that this could be a natural reaction. Um, and it doesn't sound like you're parents necessarily had this reaction, but just generalizing this, it seems like some parents react with anger sometimes because it's easier to feel anger than it is to feel shame or guilt. And then that comes from feeling like it's a failure on their part. And it's not, it's so not a failure on their part. I mean, you can just be the most wonderful parent and it sounds like your parents are wonderful, are wonderful. And it's a mental health issue and it's yes. beyond your control and there's nothing you yes. can do about it. And I feel like no. that would be a natural reaction. And then one to that's important to overcome so you could show up in the way that you need to show up. Yeah. And that's so wonderful that your parents handled it like they did and that your dad was as mellow. He took it seriously. This is something that needs to be addressed. But yeah here, I'm not going to put this on you guys. Don't cross any boundaries. We will address it as it needs to be addressed. I love that. Yeah. And you've kind of talked about your brother and earlier when he was younger, did you see any addictive signs? And I know that you said it was kind of a bombshell in hindsight. Do you see any signs now? Yes. In hindsight, there are plenty of warning signs that we all saw that we're like, why didn't we catch on earlier? I mean, just very inconsistent behavior, mood swings, like really high or really low, almost like manic sometimes. And then like, I don't know the opposite of manic, but the opposite of manic (laughs) where he was just like tired all the time. Yes. Lethargic. Yeah. Yes. And he lost a ton of weight. He's a thin man already. He's always been very thin, Um, but even more so like 
deathly, like sunken eyes, a change in his skin tone, scratching of his skin. Yeah. And I, I always was like, I don't know if that's true, but no, he was, he was picking at his skin. He was manic, not sleeping for days, or he was low where all he wanted to do was sleep. Yeah, definitely a ton of physical signs. I mentioned earlier, you know, that we saw the emotional signs, but we thought that he was doing things to take care of it. And that, yeah. you know, yeah. sometimes that's a process to find the right equation. He's still figuring out what works for him. And so the emotional side of things we thought was being handled, we did notice it, but we didn't think too much of it. But the physical side, for sure, looking back now, all of us were like, why did we not see that, you know, he had lost so much weight and that his skin was discolored and his eyes are sunken in and he was picking at his skin all the time and, you know, stuff like that. And let's say that you recognize those signs for what they were at the onset. How would you have handled it then? Um, I think I would have asked flat out mm-hmm. if he was using, I think I would have asked and I would have, you know, offered to do what I could do to help him or get him the help that he needs. The flip side of it is that I learned with my brother-in-law is, you know, you can ask him. And unless they're ready to tell you and get the help, then there's nothing I could do and continue to love him, continue to keep my boundaries. But until he was ready to tell us and do something about it, there was not much more I could do. I think that's the worst part, at least for me, if I were to deal with it, you can't fix it. You can't fix them. You can't fix the problem. And I would think that that would make you feel so powerless and you want to help them and you want them to be better and to heal. And again, like you said, unless they're willing and ready to own up to it and to get the help they need, you can provide support, but also boundaries are important, like you've acknowledged. Yeah. So as a kid, did you see any signs that he would perhaps develop an addiction later or no? I didn't see signs that he would develop an addiction I, I saw signs of mental health issues with him mm-hmm. um, growing up. I know that he struggled and I didn't know how consistently or the depths of it, but I know that he did struggle with depression on and off growing up. Um, and he, even growing up, he would go through periods of being manic where he was super high all the time and periods of being super low where he was just exhausted all the time. I saw those signs. I saw that he did have mental health issues. I didn't understand fully what they were or even what to do about them. And I know that my sister and I, my older sister, she's a year and a half older than him. And I did see signs of that all growing up. I didn't ever see addictive signs. And I don't know like the causation and correlation of his addiction versus like his other mental health stuff. Yeah. I don't know if his depression caused the addiction or if they're correlated or, you know, I, I don't know that, but I know that I did see other mental health stuff growing up for sure. Yeah. It's hard to tease out what will develop into addiction later and what's yeah. a separate isolated mental health issue and really underscores the importance of mental health and yes taking care of your mental health and looking for like you did, like you're so aware, being aware of your loved one's mental health and mental health is not something to be dismissed at all. No, not at all. What helped you experiencing all of this? And you had said that you'd gone to therapy and you explored healing, I guess is a word that I could use. Okay. On your own. So what helped you specifically? I think the first thing that I remember being the most effective, like the first thing that I remember 
affecting me was the rehab um, and recovery center that my brother went to. This was before the pandemic. So we were allowed to go. They would have family weekends where we would go once a month for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday and do group sessions and do AA meetings and do just family sessions and do different activities. And not all of it was heavy, like digging into your emotions, because that can be really tiring. But a lot of it was and then and then we'd have other moments where we could just, you know, not have to talk about it all of the time, because everybody is still a human outside of their addiction. And those conversations and those interactions with it not all being focused on that. And so the first weekend that I was able to attend that we had one session with just my siblings and I, just us four. And we really had got the opportunity to talk through stuff with my brother's addiction therapist that was there. And that was the first time that I kind of started to understand addiction. How it is a mental health issue and how it isn't just someone choosing it all of the time. There wasn't any specific line or anything in there, but I just remember that session is kind of like talking through is when it hit me that I was like, this is a serious mental health issue and and people need to see it that way and stop being so judgmental. Like, oh, well, you're just choosing to do it. That's just not how it, it's not. Yeah. So yes, that's so important. That's such an important highlight. Yeah. And that was the first thing. And then I ended up, and I wish I could remember the podcast name. And I looked and I couldn't find, I looked this morning before I came to talk to you because I wanted to tell you about it. It was a different podcast and it was, the whole podcast was about addiction. Ooh. And yes. And it's like a two part series and there's like 12 episodes in one season. And I started listening to that. And it's from a woman whose brother had an addiction and he ended up overdosing and passing away. Oh my goodness. And she brings in, you know, she brings in the top of the top people in this arena, doctors. And I think she even brought in someone from state government down in Texas and how we could change the law on, you know, drug usage and how that's penalized. And so that was really eye-opening to me on the culture of how we treat addiction and how we sometimes criminalize addicts. Yes. Yes. And so that yes. was really eye-opening to me. And there's another podcast episode. Armchair Expert is one of my favorite podcasts. And there was an expert on there talking about the approach to drugs and drug usage and rehabilitation and taking a rehabilitative approach and a therapeutic approach rather than a punitive approach. Yes. And the countries that have, have smashing yes. success. I mean, it yes. just is proved over and over and over. The recidivism yes. rate is nil. And yes. better quality of life, people are feeling better, and it's a mental health issue, and it should be treated as such. And just throwing people into jail doesn't help anything. It actually makes it worse. Yes. Science backs it up. The experience backs it up. I mean, yes. it's just, yeah. All it, of that. Yeah. All of that. Yes. Also, it makes me keep thinking when you're talking about like people overdosing or grieving. I think you would use that word at the beginning of this talking about mourning and grieving and especially people who are continual users 
and turn into people that you don't recognize anymore. It is a loss. It's a true loss. It's not a person that you know anymore. It's not the person that you knew anymore. And that would be so hard. I remember talking to one of my really good friends and she has a sister who is a drug user and an addict and it's a completely different person. And she had to mourn the loss of that sister. And I'm really close to my sister. Yeah, I am extremely close to my sister. And she was extremely close to her sister. And she's like, it's like you losing Brooke to drugs. That's what a loss it was to me. And you have to mourn that. I remember for one of my Would You Rather Wednesdays, I asked that because that is such a gut puncher question for me, whether you would rather lose your kid or a loved one to drugs or to death, because to drugs, they're still in your life. Yeah, Yeah. And like you still can see them, but would it almost be more painful to keep seeing them as the person you know them not to be or as a new person? Like that would almost be harder for me, I feel like, because, oh gosh, it's hard for everybody around. You know that they're not living their best life and they're not well and they're not feeling well. Yeah. And then it's hard for you to watch that. Oh, just on that, that was a huge thing, not even for me, but my whole family with my brother, you know, and when he was actively using, you know, they make choices and they say things and they do things that are not their normal themselves. And there have been repercussions for our whole family on that things that he's done and things that he said that has affected all of us and trying to figure out, I mean, we came home from one of the family weekends and it was my mom, my dad, my sister, my younger brother and I, and we just sobbed and we said, I feel like we don't even know who he is anymore. Like, I don't know who my brother is. I don't know where he went. Yeah. And we all grieved that. And, you know, he may not come back even with a healthy, sober human, you know, he probably will never be who he was before. Yeah. It's, and that was really hard. That was really hard for me. I think that I felt a lot of guilt for this because I know that when he was going through a lot of his rough stuff that he was hiding, he was helping me go through a lot of my traumas that I was trying to work through. And I had no idea. And so I felt a lot of guilt that I was like, you know, if I would have known, I maybe could have helped him through his traumas, you know, or I wouldn't have necessarily put so much weight on him or, you know, so I felt a lot of guilt that while he was in the throes of his addiction, I was getting a lot of help and strength from him. Even him helping you possibly actually even might've helped him too, gave him a purpose and helped right. give him value and helping someone else usually lifts you up. Right. But I can see your reaction. Objectively, I see that it's just not accurate and that's just not right. But yeah, I can see that that would be a natural reaction. Yeah. And just, gosh, what a hard situation all around, any way that you look at it, for all involved. Yeah. It affects so many. And it affects, it crosses religious lines. It crosses socioeconomic lines. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Everybody is, well, when I say everybody's susceptible. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that you, just because you're a certain race or a certain socioeconomic status, that you're not susceptible to it. We all are. Exactly. Exactly. I I mean, obviously, some of the stuff that I learned while we would go into his rehab facility is confidential, but we went and there was people from all walks of life, very successful businessmen, very low income, 
people who like there was just all walks of life at, yeah. at his rehab facility and it just really showed it doesn't care who you are what you do where you're from your gender your race it doesn't care addiction is a mental health issue that can take down anybody exactly well put it's non-discriminatory equal opportunity all are welcome from mm-hmm. party yeah addiction doesn't care and especially you see a rising number of stay-at-home parents, particularly yeah. stay-at-home moms, mm-hmm. becoming susceptible to it because, gosh, I mean, parenting can be challenging and draining and tiring and exhausting. And especially with as many balls as we have in the air now, and just to stay afloat and keep your head above water, I can see the appeal and the draw to just get yeah. a little boost and a little hit. And gosh, and I'm glad that things are slowly changing with prescribing yeah. Uh, drugs to patients and especially like I've heard friends who have had kids and having a kid is a very, in the best way, but still a disruptive moment in your life where everything oh, is yeah. just thrown upside down and your hormones oh, are yeah. out of whack and it's all yes. over the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're susceptible to postpartum depression and that is gnarly and that can take you down. And so you throw that into the mix and let's say that a woman has a C-section or just a birth in general. And then I've heard about friends who have had like nurses and doctors well-meaning, but still like pushing drugs on them. And then they would resist and be like, I'm okay. I'm okay. And they're like, no, 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 take it, take it, take it, take it. Yeah. And that scares me. That's one of my biggest fears is flipping into that because it's so insidious and you just can get slowly sucked in without realizing that you're getting sucked in until it's too late. Oh yeah. Yes. I don't respond well to heavy pain medication anyways, but since all of this has happened, I have not, I had a couple surgeries where, you know, I was prescribed that and I just didn't even go get the prescription filled because I personally have never had an addiction to anything. Yeah. That doesn't mean yeah. I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I am terrified of it. And, yeah. and so I have done everything I can to stay away from things that could cause an addiction in me. Yes. Yes. I hear you 1000%. Oh gosh. You you're incredible. Thank you for so openly sharing your story and then so compassionately and empathetically giving such good insight and information through all of it. Do you have any resources specifically that you would recommend to people just like any specific programs or any specific like tools, online tools, apps, anything like that, or just Um, blanket go to therapy? Well, blanket go to therapy. I think whether, whether addiction or not, actually, I think everyone needs to go to therapy. (laughs) We all have different things (laughs) Yes, yes. in general, but also I know that there are resources in Pocatello online and I don't have the list with me, but they do have resources for family members or even themselves that have an addiction. Um, there are weekly, every single night in Pocatello, Idaho, and I'm assuming everywhere else, if Pocatello, Idaho is as small as it is, and we have the resources yeah. um, to have groups. They have AA groups and they have family member groups of people who have addictions almost every single night in our area that we can attend and you know, finding people who have had our same experiences and just talking about it, yes, learning yes. more. I've been amazed the times that I have opened up about this to people and I try and be more and more open about it. Almost every single person I have talked to has to some level interacted with 
addiction, whether it's themselves or someone they know. And I always thought it was so taboo. And the more that I talk about it, the more people I find have more in common with me. Yes. Just want people to talk about it. Yes. Protect our future generations, you know, and, and prevent if we can. And it's not as uncommon as it seems. Right. I think humans are empathetic people naturally. And I think humans want to connect. And the more we can find in common, the more loving we can be and the better we can be ourselves and the better we can lead the world. Oh my gosh. What a banger of an ending. That was amazing. I love that so much. And I completely agree. And Thank you again for talking about this and putting some sunlight on this that needs to happen so we can end the stigma and normalize it. And like you said, help future generations. It's our responsibility to help future generations. And we all directly or indirectly have experience with addiction and increasingly so. We see it on the rise more and more. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you so much. And thank you, everybody else. Yeah, thank you for just doing all you do and caring enough. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Thank you.